Joshua chapter 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. <clears throat> Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, where, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Remaining there till evening, the elders of the Israelites did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves to the tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So early in the morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zeharites were chosen. He had the clans of the Zeharites come forward by families, 
and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honour him. Tell me what you have done, and do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messages and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his anger, fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. We join me with prayer this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we have read from your word this evening and we've read such a confronting story. Heavenly Father, as we read through the book of Joshua, we know that as we read your word, uh, we will um, deal with each uh, section as it comes up. And tonight, Lord God, as last week, we may find this uh, terribly confronting and difficult. And Lord, not all our questions about this passage tonight may be answered. But I do pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go through this passage tonight, that you would actually give us insight into how important it is for us to deal with our sin. That once we have acknowledged the darkness of our own sin, that we will actually be able to acknowledge the glory of the wonderful forgiveness that we have in the name of Jesus Christ. The more we understand how dark the night is, the more we will see the brilliance of the sun as it rises to give us warmth and hope and future. I pray, Heavenly Father, for your people here tonight, for those of us who have committed our lives to you and find this very confronting. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us encouragement and hope to remember that the wrath that you have towards sin has been poured out on your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we are fully forgiven and now saints in your family, and we can call you Father. Lord God, may we glory in the sacrifice of Jesus in that he has achieved for us something that no one else can achieve. That we may understand tonight that through Jesus all our guilt can be taken away. We do not need to live lives of guilt and shame, but we can actually win the victory over sin that we fight each day in the name of Jesus through the strength of your Holy Spirit. So Father, in the midst of this encouraging passage, 
confronting passage, I pray that you would encourage us. I also pray tonight, Lord God, for those of us who are here who haven't yet trusted in the Lord Jesus and that this might be a great night to actually consider trusting in his beautiful, eternal, powerful sacrifice on the cross to pay for all sin. Lord God, we do pray you would encourage us tonight with the possibility that we might be able to share this good news even more widely so more and more people can escape the terrible fate of Achan and actually enjoy an eternal reality with you forever. Father, we thank you for the book of Joshua that it gives us both uh, the story of judgment against sin and injustice and evil, but it also gives us the story of forgiveness and mercy. This we pray, Heavenly Father, tonight. Encourage our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I, thank you, brother. It's lovely to have you guys here tonight. It's lovely to be encouraged too. I hope that prayer was encouraging to everyone tonight. I want to also welcome everyone who's online tonight, um, watching from home, and I hope uh, our earlier sound issues um, are resolving themselves. I just want to thank the boys for all the effort they put in uh, each week to make sure that as many people as possible can come to church even during this COVID. So thanks, Joy and Ethan, and thanks for the uh, great teamwork you two have. And they always serve us with a smile on their face. So thank you, boys. And again, you've um, been great tonight. Look, I've um, been thinking about um, how we might approach this passage tonight. And I might um, surprise you with the angle I'm taking. might not be everybody's choice. But what I actually want to do tonight is I actually want to pick up on something I was praying there in my prayer. Now, in my prayer, I actually prayed, if you heard what I was saying, that the, the dawn is brighter the darker you see the night. So if the, if the night is dark and it's cold. You, you, have you ever experienced this, a cold, dark night? Have you ever experienced waiting for a dawn for some reason? It might be because you've been camping, you can't wait for the sun to come up because you're freezing or whatever it might be. You might be a surfer and you're out in the surf and you're trying to almost will the sun to come over the horizon to heat you up because you're freezing cold out in the winter surf. I don't know what it might be, but many people have experienced this. If you've never experienced a dawn, it's a wonderful thing to witness. But the dawn is brighter the colder the night. And I think the purpose of the passage here tonight is to warn us against sin and to paint a very, very dark picture of just how important our sin is so that we might see the glory and the majesty of the dawn. That as Jesus comes into our life, he sweeps away all of this sin and all the guilt and shame and can replace it with complete forgiveness. This is the story of Joshua. And as I was thinking about this story today, I was thinking of a number of conversations that I've had with uh, some of my friends over the last couple of weeks. Some of them who um, have been saying to me, it just seems like such a heavy deal, Joshua, doesn't it? That sin, you know, they get the idea of the darkness being, you know, the darker the night, the brighter the, the, the dawn. But yet this seems so full on, doesn't it? You know, the whole of Jericho got destroyed last night, last week, didn't it? We saw how... Um, God himself raised that city to the ground despite the fact that um, he gave them time to repent. They shut the gates against his forgiveness and only one family was saved. But in that story, we saw the difference between mercy and judgment, didn't we? That if the whole city had opened their gates to God and repented, they all would have experienced the same forgiveness that Rahab and her family achieved. Yet, there's a warning there for the Canaanites who had spent... Four generations in abominable sin. Their worship of the Baals and Molech had meant that they were in their practices even sacrificing their own children, children to their gods. It was despicable. And God is a good God. 
He's holy and he's righteous. And it's, I think, encouraging to know that God does not turn his head away from evil and injustice, but he will deal with it and he will deal with it once and for all. And that's what we see last week in Jericho. And this week, we're surprised that that same message of judgment and mercy applies to the people of Israel too. This is not just for the other. This is also for all people, including the people of God. And we'll look at that in a moment. But like I said, some people I've been talking to have rightly said that's really a struggle. It's like, wow, does it have to be this serious? Does God have to be this angry at sin? Does the night have to be that dark? It seems too dark. And again, tonight we're confronted with that, aren't we? It seems like the result of sin is too expensive. Does sin really end in death? Now, in Romans chapter 6, verses 23... Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there you see the night and the dawn, don't you, in sharp contrast. The more you understand that the wages of sin indeed is death, the more you understand how special it is that God himself died in our place so that we don't have to die. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, died in our place so we would not have to face God's wrath. Yet still... Some people will say, that's even too expensive. Why did Jesus have to die? In fact, next year we're going to look at that because a number of evangelical Christians are even starting to ask that question. Why did God have to demand the death of his own son for sin? Well, Joshua's important for us to understand why. Because if we don't understand how important sin is, we don't understand how beautiful forgiveness is and the need for it. And this might not be where you're at right now at this moment. And if you're not, I apologise in advance, but I couldn't get the movie The Castle out of my head all week. As I was listening to people saying that sin sounds too expensive, I couldn't get my head out of, 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 what's his name? Um, Daryl Kerrigan and his son Steve. Now, if you haven't had the privilege of watching the movie The Castle, can I thoroughly encourage you to do it? Particularly if you're a younger person, probably won't get half of the nuances because it was made about 30 years ago. But this is a really funny scene. I want to set the scene that I'm going to show you right now. And you might be again saying, Stu, this is a bit of a change of gears, having a bit of a laugh in the midst of this heavy issue. But you know, funnily enough, I can't think of a better thing to illustrate what I think is going on in my heart when I read this story of sin. I think it's too expensive. And I'm a pastor. I need to actually listen to God as he explains to me how important sin is and how terrible it is. And I need to trust him that he's right, okay, rather than make up my own mind. Now, in a world before the internet, before there was Gumtree, there was a thing called the Trading Post. And in the Trading Post, it was pretty much you had to go down to the news agency, get your paper, have a look at all the different things that were for sale. And in the clip that I'm about to show you, Steve has gone down to the news agents pre-internet, he's got himself his Trading Post newspaper and he's looking for bargains. And the funny thing about this clip, which I think you might smile at, let's see how we go, see how this resonates with you all tonight. But when you look at this clip, and I hope you can see this online too if you're at home, when you look at this clip, everything that Steve points to, Daryl thinks is too expensive. He's a self-professed expert on buying second-hand things. And I think we are a lot like Daryl. I think we want to make a decision for ourselves how expensive something is and I hope this encourages you because you might actually resonate with old Daryl tonight. So let's throw the clip on um, as um, we have a look. Let's see what you think. Steve is an apprentice mechanic but he spends most of his time reading the trading post. 
He just loves yeah. buying and trading. Ergonomic chairs, four of them. What's he want? 180. He's dreaming. Dad, 450. But jousting sticks. Tell him he's dreaming. How much is a jousting stick worth, Dad? Not going to be more than 250. And on the condition. Dad, some guy's selling an overhead projector. Nah. Now hang on, Steve. What's he asking? 150. Tell him he's dreaming. Yeah. Dad? What's a pulpit? Where the minister gives his sermon from. How much? 800. Dreaming. <laughs> there you go. I love the last one. There's a pulpit. What's a pulpit? It's the thing the minister preaches from. How much does he want? 800. In that one, Kerrigan's right. Because this is not worth $800. And it's holding up my notes quite well. Are you a little bit like Daryl Kerrigan when you come to reading the Bible? Do you find yourself sitting in judgment over what you read sometimes? Does it make sense to me or doesn't it? Will I accept it based on what my experience is? Will I, will I accept it based on what my considerations are? I think we all do. And the reason that that movie is such an Australian classic is many times during the movie we can associate with Daryl, but in that scene that's become a major uh, reference point in our culture. Tell him he's dreaming. Can I encourage you tonight, as you hear the story of Achan, please keep an open mind. Please remember, as I said last week, that God is good and he is good all the time. Don't sit back in judgment waiting to see if you agree with God's decisions or not. Try and understand them because in that there is wisdom. Remember in the uh, wisdom literature in the Bible, time again we read that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So don't despise God's teaching even if it's difficult because we may find that the dawn is brighter because we understand how dark the night is amen well let's move on let's remember that this story we heard read tonight in uh, chapter 7 of joshua actually really did begin last week in chapter 6 you see Achan's actions that are being judged tonight were actually actions that, he, that took place in chapter 6 to remind us of the story and for those of us who weren't here uh, previously to uh, be able to remember what happened last week. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, we hear that the Lord had given really specific instructions to the people of Israel, how they were going to take the land. You see, God was going to bring the end to the child sacrifices. He was going to bring the end and bring judgment to the wrongdoing of the people of Canaan. And this in the midst of his promises to the father of the people of Israel, Abraham, who he had said in chapter 12 and chapter 15 of Genesis that he would give him the blessing of a people in a land who would be a blessing to all people. But in chapter 12, he said to Abraham these haunting words. He said, I will bless people through you, but those who do not accept you, I will curse. So in the beginning of the story, you see judgment and mercy side by side. And that's what we saw last week, wasn't it? Because as the people of Israel come into the land to attack the city, we know that the spies who had gone ahead of the army, who'd gone into the city, had been told to spy at the city and they'd been helped by the prostitute Rahab. And Rahab had brought them into a house and she asked them to spare her because she feared the Lord. She understood that the way her people were living was wrong and she wanted not to be associated with that. 
And so she asked for forgiveness and hung a red cord out her window. And so that as the events of chapter 6 unfold, we're told that the army comes in, they shout in verse 16, and the city um, was um, attacked by the Lord himself. Verse 17, the city and all that was in it, um, the Lord had said, are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies. In verse 18, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. In other words, go in and destroy everything in the city except for Rahab and her household, but don't even take any of it. Don't plunder the city because it will actually lead to your own destruction if you take it. It goes on in verse 18 to say that if anyone takes anything out of the city, otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. And in verse 19, all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron that are sacred to the Lord must um, are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. In other words, don't allow any of the precious things that have been shaped into idols of Moloch and Baal to be continuing on. We need to see all that in the treasury of the Lord. We need to destroy that practice. We need to take on all those treasures of these people and give them and devote them to the Lord, not become a bunch of pirates who are going to go into this city and just get rich off the fat of these people's destruction and their poverty. No, no, no. We're not going to do that, right? And so, in chapter uh, 6, verse 20 to 21, we read, When the trumpet sounded and the army shouted, the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that everyone charged straight in and they took the city, just as the Lord said. Verse 21, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. It's very, very hard to understand. And again, we, we, we kind of, as soon as that verse comes up again, I turn into Daryl Kerrigan again. Oh, really? Is it that expensive for jousting sticks? But remember what Steve said when Daryl said how much that that was too expensive? And Steve says, well, how much is a jousting stick worth? He goes, I reckon 250 Don't we live in a culture that's like that? Don't we come up with our moral ethical concerns on the run? Isn't it done in the public forum with whoever can shout the loudest at the other side? The experts come on TV, the politicians make claims, even our religious leaders will will encourage the people that they are the experts that can be listened to. But the only expert is the Lord God himself. And the source of true wisdom is Yahweh. And we know that in his wisdom and judgment, there was mercy and blessing. Verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house, bring her out, and all who belong to her in accordance with the oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying, went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brother, her sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Isn't it interesting that in the Passover in Exodus, they dobbed blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the angel of death moved over the tops of the houses in that great plague that finally changed Pharaoh's minds that he would let the people go that the firstborn son in every house that didn't have the blood on the doorpost, that firstborn son died. But in those who trusted in the Lord and heard that there was mercy, trusted in the word of God and actually dobbed the blood above their doors, then the angel of death passed over. And it's interesting that the total destruction is matched by total salvation in this story. Everyone in Rahab's house was saved. Everyone who rejected the Lord and shut the gates against him perished. How are we to understand that? 
Well, we said last night, uh, sorry, last week, that Jesus helps us to see this very clearly, doesn't he? And in John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, John, his uh, best friend and apostle, writes this, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Other translations translate atoning sins with the old-fashioned word propitiation. And we said last week that the word propitiation means the turning away of God's wrath. So just like the red cord in the window turned away the wrath of God and the people who were in that house were saved, just like the red blood of the lamb posted on the doorpost of the people who were in, in Egypt and they were saved, so those who trust in the blood of Jesus Christ can be saved from sin because he has been punished in our place and we are safe in him, as safe as Rahab and her family. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins or an atoning sacrifice. So this is how we saw things develop last week. But unfortunately, Achan was not watching what was going on. He wasn't listening. I don't know if he's turned out or his covetousness has just got the better of him. Was he standing there with the rest of the army as they were instructed not to take anything? Was he daydreaming, looking at some bird flying around outside the camp? Probably not, actually. He probably agreed before he attacked the city that he would do what the Lord said because he's a human being. That's what we're like. We hear an instruction and think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Do you remember Peter on the night that Jesus was arrested? Before that event, Jesus had said, you know, I have to go and suffer. And Peter's like, oh, I'm never going to be anywhere but on your side, Jesus. I'll be with you right to the end. And in fact, he's so zealous that he pulls a sword out in the garden, lops off some poor soldier's ear to try and defend Jesus. He's not a very good swordsmith. Misses the guy's head completely, just chops his ear off. Jesus picks the ear up, puts it back on the guy's head and in another amazing miracle of, of um, mercy, gives the guy his hearing back after Peter, who'd been so stupidly clumsy, had acted inappropriately outside of his will. Now here's Peter, who is so boldly proclaiming that he's going to be the best Christian that there's ever been. That's basically what he's saying. I'm even better than all the others. I'm the best. And yet when Jesus is arrested, Peter, according to what Jesus predicted, denied the Lord three times. That's what we're like as human beings. We can go into a situation with all the good intentions in the world, but have you ever experienced this kind of temptation too? You've decided yourself that you're not going to be tempted, but then when you're in the situation, sometimes your own sinful nature gets the better of you. Well, despite the fact that in chapter 6 we're told that the majority of the people of Israel in the army actually did take the devoted things and put it into the Lord's treasury, in verse 1 of chapter 7, this is what we read of Achan. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zereph, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now this is to inform us on how dark the night is here. Remember what we said at the beginning of the sermon. This is not a simple act of theft. This is a rejection of the command of the living God. This is a breaking of a promise. Because the people of Israel, including the army, had promised after they crossed over the Jordan that they would renew their covenant promises with the Lord God, that he would be their God and they would be his people, that he would actually instruct them on a new way to live without sin, 
You see, the promised land is not a place where there is going to be any sin. That's the idea. And at the very beginning of the conquest, there is a rebellious Israelite who goes against the will of God at the very beginning of the story. And so the Lord is angry with that. He's given the Israelites every opportunity to understand the gravity of the situation, but Achan doesn't think the night is black. He thinks it's a bit grey. Surely if I hide a few things, cloak from Babylonia, bit of gold, bit of silver, it's hardly anything, man. No one's going to notice. It's so bright and shiny. But if I just chuck it under my blanket in the tent, can you imagine the conversation that night when the family are like, what are you doing? Where'd you get all that stuff? Oh, don't tell anyone. Let's just dig a hole. We'll put it in a hole. We'll cover it over. No one will know. It's all good. But you know what? The Lord sees everything. We can hide our sin from each other but we can't hide from God. Peter couldn't even hide his future sin from Jesus, let alone his present and past sin. I think the message here for us is please don't either belittle sin and think it's not important because you'll miss out on a huge amount of mercy if you do, or also, alternatively, don't go around talking like Peter as though you know, you're living as a great Christian, but you've got stuff under your carpet in your tent. My question to us tonight is, have we got anything under the carpet in our tent tonight in our lives? Have you got hidden sin that you've been pushing away under the carpet? Tonight's the time for freedom and mercy. It's not necessarily that we have to go through the fate of Achan. If we are honest and open with the Lord, we receive mercy. Well, let's see, why is it so important? Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 to 45 says this, I am the Lord your God. Concentrate yourselves to be holy because I am holy. Do not make for yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. Now, this is not a burden. This is a freedom. We can be free from sin. We don't have to live under its bondage and its slavery anymore. Jesus sets us free. And look at all the people Jesus engages with in the New Testament, one after the other. Freedom, 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 freedom. But there are people on the edges all the time who are like the Canaanites, aren't they? Even amongst the people of God. They, they're criticising Jesus. They're trying to, you know, sow just a little bit of discontent about his message. This is why in Mark chapter 8, verses 15, Jesus says, Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, I don't bake. I'm not going to pretend that I do. I love it when someone can bake a good baked goods. Got a few friends here that make a few good baked goods. Sarah Eliard, cracker with baked goods. Monica Werner, cracker with baked goods. And I know a number of you are too. Saw photos of Jono during the week on Julie's Instagram feed, cooking up spaghetti bolognese, not baking, but similar. Now, I don't know what I'm talking about right now, but I know intellectually what I'm talking about. I know that yeast in the bread makes the whole thing rise. I don't know why, I don't know how, I'm not going to go into it so we don't have time, but apparently that little piece of yeast, a tiny little teaspoon of yeast, spreads out amongst the whole dough and makes it rise. Jesus said, beware of a little bit of sin because it'll spread through the whole dough. Beware of those religious leaders, the Pharisees, because their yeast will spread. Beware of Achan and his family who covered up the sin because it'll spread throughout the people of Israel. 
At the beginning of the launch of the people of Israel, there is this warning that Jesus resonates with in Mark 18, 15. And when Paul reflects on it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, he says it explicitly. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Let me say that again. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Amen. You see, Achan disobeys the Lord and that disobedience will spread. And the Lord is not going to allow that to happen. Coming back to the book of Joshua, chapter 7, verse 6, we have a broken covenant. And Joshua sees how dark this night is. He's terrified by this reality of the defeat in Ai. Not because of the defeat, but what we'll see is he knows that there is sin that has stopped them having victory. Verse 6, Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. Imagine being so upset that you would tear your clothes and lie in front of the ark all day and all night. That's commitment to repentance, isn't it? He's hoping that the Lord may actually hear his pain at the sin of his people. But he doesn't even know what the sin is. Isn't that amazing? At the same time, the elders did the same thing. And he prays in verse 8, Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Israel has been routed by its enemies. But he's not worried about his name being tarnished. He's worried about the Lord's name being tarnished. And now we're understanding why sin is so dark. Because it's not just a consequence for us. You see, sin tarnishes the name of the Lord. And if the people of God are sinning, that makes God out to look like a fool in the eyes of the nations. And that is not something Joshua can abide. Now, the closest I could get to that tonight for you, again, I'm a very trivial person, but I follow a football team. And I remember in the 80s that some of the fans in my football team used to get a little bit too excited in the 80s. So much so that they used to riot. And they had to put fences up at the ground to stop them going on the field. That put dishonour on the name of my club as far as I'm concerned. Didn't matter what happened on the field, but you've got to be sportsman-like or sportsman-woman's-like. See, how much more then are the people of Israel through their sin in defeat? Obviously, God hasn't been with them. They've been defeated. And what, what Joshua says in verse 9 here is, the Canaanites and the other people of this country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? See that? See, the people who are riding at a football match just want to have fun, don't they? Or they want to get angry and they don't want to have any restrictions or they just want to go and express themselves. They're not thinking of the name of their club when they're doing that, how it brings dishonour to their own club. In the late 80s, I was in a political science lecture and one of my lecturers had done a PhD on the Chelsea Football Club. My, my team's Sheffield Wednesday, but Chelsea was like that too in the 80s. They had a, a hardcore fan base that used to stand up the back of the ground and throw darts at their own fans. And they didn't care. See, they didn't understand how devastating that was for the people who endured such horrible things, but also they didn't understand how it had muddied the name of their club. And Joshua does. He's ripped his clothes. He's laying at the foot of the ark. Lord God, what's happened? Please forgive us. And in verses 10 to 12 that we heard read, I won't read it now because we've already heard it read, but God says, Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? In other words... Let's not remain in guilt and shame. Isn't this a wonderful turning point? You're getting how significant this is? This is a real turning point. Something's pivoting here. This is hope. The dawn's coming. The sun's coming. But just before the dawn is when the night is coldest. And before the sun comes up, it's going to get colder and darker and more hard for us to understand. 
but God is intervening and he's saying to Joshua, I am going to shed light on this sin. You see, nothing can be hidden from the face of God and he is going to reveal the sin of Israel. And so he gives Joshua instruction to line up the whole of the people of Israel. In verses 14 to 15, in the morning, they pres- interesting here, by the way, isn't it? Oh, this is just a coincidence, it's not theological here, but it's in the morning. But it's a dark moment. It's like before the dawn. This is going to get pretty dark, everyone. And I'm not being trivial about this. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. And the tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan and the, Lord, the clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family and family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done outrageous things in Israel. Now presumably, Haken's got a moment to come forward. It's going to take a while. God's going to line up the whole nation and then he's going to bring him out clan, then tribe, then family. Presumably, this guy thinks he can get away with it. Presumably, Achan is not like Rahab from chapter 6. He's more like the Canaanites. He's shut the gates to the Lord and he's not repenting. Do you know there's two ways you can say sorry? You can say sorry when you get caught or you can say sorry when you mean it. And you know the sorry that the Lord loves when his people come before him and ask for his mercy and are honest with him because he can see everything. But Achan doesn't do this. Verse 19, Joshua said to Achan, My son, give the glory of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, and honour him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. See, Joshua names it, what I was just saying. He calls it out. Don't hide from the Lord, bro. And Achan replied, It's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. And such a dreadful outcome follows. The whole of his family is stoned to death. It's very troubling. Basically here we have a warning to the Canaanites in chapter 6 where there's judgment and mercy. But here in chapter 7, we actually see that differently. By getting the yeast out of the flour, the people of Israel are not destroyed and judged as God said he would judge them. Because remember what he promised, if one person does the wrong thing, the whole country is going to be judged. But because Joshua repented in the name of his family, the whole people of Israel, along with the elders, the people were spared. But Achan and his family who shut the gates against God and did not repent and come forward, they suffer judgment. Now before we close that story tonight, I know I don't have a lot of time, but I briefly want to say that at the beginning of the story of the people of Israel, God wants them to understand that sin is dark, dark night. Stay away from it at all costs. Stay away from sin. At the beginning of their story, and you know what? At the beginning of the church's story, at the church of Jesus Christ, we have the same story repeated. Have you ever thought about that? Not that we have time to look at it tonight. Might want to talk about it over dinner. But in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, we hear the story of a man called Ananias and a lady called Sapphira at the start of the story of the church. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about what their sin was, but the problem for Ananias and Sapphira was that they lied to the Holy Spirit. They said they were going to give all their money to the church. They didn't have to. They didn't have to give all their money. 
but they just wanted to big note themselves and say, yeah, we're going to give it to the church. But then they held a little bit back and didn't tell the truth. And Peter says to Ananias and Sapphira in verse 3, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Isn't the contrast between Ananias and Achan stunning? The man who was supposed to give everything in the plunder to the temple of the Lord and to the treasury of the Lord, who kept some back for himself, is lying to the Holy Spirit. He thinks he can lie to the Holy Spirit, who can see everything. And here, Ananias, despite must have known the story of Achan, hasn't heard the warning, warning of the people of Israel. And he also has coveted the money that he's wanted to say, I've given it all to God, but I'm going to keep a bit of it back for myself. Again, disaster comes on Ananias and he drops dead. It's very confronting. But to make it worse, in verse 7, hours later when his wife comes in, they ask her the same question. Peter says to Sophia, have you, have you given everything to God? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, again, she shut the gates to God. She doesn't want to trust him completely with her life and come out and say, do you know what? Actually, I didn't. I kept some. She forgoes the opportunity for mercy because she's greedy. And again, unfortunately, terribly, she drops dead. What we want tonight is wisdom to understand that Jesus' death replaces our future death if we don't repent and have our sin paid for. In Matthew 27, 46, Jesus on the cross, on the afternoon he died, yelled out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't just enduring a physical death, he was actually paying for our sin and taking the wrath of God on himself. And in John 19, 30, John saw this happen. He says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Can you see what's going on now? Because we've seen how dark the night is, we can see how bright the dawn is. That was the dawn. The dark is finished. Jesus is saying, it is finished. I've done the work necessary to pay for sin. No one more needs to die. And then afterwards, Ananias and Sapphira still lie to the Holy Spirit. The warning for us is, even if we are Christians, don't think that trying to pretend and hide and keep things in the darkness, even if you can hide it from your Christian brothers and sisters, you could be a member of our church anywhere for the whole of your life. You could even be a pastor in the church. But time and time again, we see that the best thing to do is to be humble and to come forward and to say to the Lord, here's all of me, Lord. I don't want to hold anything back from you. I don't want to keep any of the plunder under the carpet. In the name of Jesus Christ, please set me free from my shame and guilt. And my brothers and sisters, my friends here tonight, it gives us a new way to live. Not to see sin as something to be played with and to have in our life for a little bit as much as we can control it. We can't control it. It controls us. Remember what Jesus said? How is Satan entered your heart. We have to be careful that we do not play with sin. And James, to conclude tonight, says this in chapter 2, verse 17. And I want to invite you to live this new life out. In the power of the Holy Spirit, with the full forgiveness of Jesus Christ, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. See, we're a holy people. Not perfect, we get it wrong. But when we do get it wrong, how freeing is it just to go, okay, I'm sorry, Lord God. 
Wasn't it lovely when Quinn said, don't wait till Sunday before you talk to the Lord about the stuff that's under your carpet. Talk to him every day about it. Because what you find is the more that you trust in the Lord Jesus and come out into the open and repent of your sin, the better you are at actually seeing it die in your life. Have you got an abiding sin in your life tonight that's holding you back from having a full free relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you looking at stuff on the internet that you know you shouldn't be looking at? Or are you, are you lying at work to make a little bit of extra money sometimes? Or, or are, you, are you being a little bit too flagrant with your alcohol consumption and you know sometimes it's starting to get the better of you a little bit? You know, it's really easy to come into church, put your church face on and pretend everything's okay, but you don't have to. We're all sinners, but we're all saints. Okay? Amen? We're all forgiven Christians. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you escape the fate of Achan and you escape the fate of Ananias and you are forgiven. And tonight, if you're not a Christian yet, even this night, you can actually experience the wonderful mercy and the love that overwhelmed Rahab and her family who became an ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. Those two stories are intimately linked and it's to warn us and also to encourage us tonight. I'd encourage you tonight, if there's anything in your life that you just really find hard to get rid of yourself, please talk to a trusted Christian friend for help. That's what we're here for. We're here to help each other, not to judge and condemn each other. I don't want to judge you tonight and say that I'm somehow better than you. I want to help you and me to be encouraged by these stories to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ and to help other people escape the burden of sin and the guilt and the shame too. So if you'd like to be encouraged tonight and you want to have a pray with me afterwards, please feel free to come and have a pray. But don't be afraid because the power of the Holy Spirit is far beyond anything you can ever imagine. And if you feel enslaved by something in your life at the moment you'd love to get rid of, let's pray and ask God to take it away. Because that's the business he's in. He's the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. He's held back his wrath. He hasn't yet destroyed the world so that we can repent and enjoy his forgiveness and his mercy. Amen. I'm going to pray for us now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this terribly confronting story. But help us not to be like Dale Kerrigan. Help us not to sit back and go, tell God he's dreaming. It's too expensive. Lord, help us to understand how expensive sin is. It's even more than the, the price on the trading post. And yet, Jesus was able to pay that in full. Not by bargaining you down but by actually dealing with sin and death. Lord, I pray for those of us tonight who may be struggling with something tonight, some sin, some stuff that's just in our life that we just don't like. I pray, Father, that in this moment of silence now that I'm going to give us all, that we'd all be able to just give that to you and say sorry and that you'd be able to forgive us of that. Please give us strength to move forward. And if we need help from someone we trust, let's be with each other. And as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, let's carry one another's burdens. Let's not judge each other but let's help one another we pray this this evening in Jesus name Amen take a moment of silence you might want to say to the Lord a few things tonight after tonight and if the small pause I'm going to give you now doesn't make it enough don't feel like you have to rush straight into dinner and if you'd like to talk to someone we're trying to love each other here we're not always perfect but we're having a go so let's forgive as we've been forgiven and let's ask Jesus for strength tonight.